Golden State down seven, inbound to Curry. Watch by Turner in the logo. Curry wants the screen, gets it from Jarepko. Deep 30-footer! Oh, he made it! What a shot by Steph Curry! Two seconds left. Leonard lobs to midcourt. It is knocked away by Jarebko. He'll launch from half court. Off the back rim. Throws to Lillard. Right corner, a three for the win. No good! Golden State for a fifth consecutive season is your Western Conference champion in the NBA. And they're headed back to the NBA Finals with a sweep of Portland. Game four in overtime, 119 to 117. A historic run for Golden State continues. I hope it doesn't go unnoticed or underrated. You know, five straight finals hasn't been done since the 60s, since Bill Russell's Celtics. Hasn't been done for a reason. It's really, really difficult. I just can't say enough about the competitive desire of the group of players that we have here, the culture that they've built together, playing together regardless of injury. I just think the experience of winning titles helps you in these moments. I know they got it done largely without him this year, but it sure helps to be able to build a dynasty when a top two NBA player wants to come join your 73-win team. Nonetheless, congratulations to the Warriors Kings of the Western Conference for a fifth straight year. It is a sports pen on Tuesday afternoon. Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for being with us. And I tell you what, we've got a lot to get to today. We always do, including one of my favorite weeks of the year. I don't understand why college baseball is not appreciated the way college football or college basketball are. You can throw college hockey in there with baseball. I don't understand why it's so unappreciated. Baseball may be even a little more than hockey because most of the country has baseball programs. And yet it just goes largely unnoticed until the College World Series. It is championship week for the NCAA baseball tournament. I love championship week in college basketball. I love it almost more than the NCAA tournament. Now the major conference baseball tournaments get underway this week. I'll have a guest join me to break down the Big Ten tournament coming up. But hey, I want to start in the NBA. Last night, Golden State takes down Portland 119-117. to They sweep the Western Conference Finals with an overtime victory. They are on to the NBA Finals. The Warriors are now the first team since the 1966 Boston Celtics to reach five consecutive championships. Steph Curry did his thing having a much better series after struggling throughout the Houston series. Steph with 37 points, 13 rebounds last night. Draymond Green, 18 and 14. How about Kevon Looney? 12 points and 14 rebounds. Five Warriors scored in double figures and three had double doubles. But like most games this series, it's not as much about what Golden State did right. They played Golden State basketball. You knew they would. It's about what Portland did wrong. Because for the third time this series, third time in four games, Portland blew a 13-point-plus second-half lead. Portland just doesn't know how to finish out a game. They had the last shot of regulation. They had the last shot of overtime. They just can't finish. They weren't expecting a whole lot this season. You knew they'd be good. You weren't thinking that they'd be runner-ups in the Western Conference. Maybe not even the three-seed overall. Portland reaches the conference finals for the first time in 19 years. You thought everything that happens from here on out is going to be gravy. You know what? There is no moral victory in what happened to the Portland Trailblazers. They had leads on Golden State, double-digit leads in three of the four games, and they didn't win any of them. They had opportunities late, and they just blew all of them. There are no moral victories in that. So no, this was not a season that defied expectations. 
when you look back on this series, if you're a Portland Trailblazer, you're going to think, what if? This series is going to be marred in disappointment, and this series is going to be what defines this season. Let's dig a little deeper in the box score. Lillard and McCullum had underwhelmed up to this point in the series. They were pretty good last night. They combined for 54 points, but they couldn't get the big shot when they needed to. And neither of them were the best player in a Portland uniform last night. Myers Leonard was. 30 points, 12 rebounds, the highlight reel dunk toward the end of the game. You're not going to beat Golden State when Myers Leonard is your best player on the floor. Here's another thing. Golden State, you talk about how good as shooters they are, and they are. They can absolutely light it up. 60 of Golden State's 119 points last night came in the paint. More than half their points were in the paint last night. It's not just about shooting. They can get it done inside. Example being Kevon Looney stepped up and had his best game of the playoffs last night. We knew how good Golden State's backcourt was, but their big men were the difference makers last night. What's more, Golden State had a 56-38 edge in total rebounds, 15-6 on the offensive end. I'll say that again. Last night, Golden State out-rebounded Portland 56-38 and 15-6 on the offensive end. If your big men can do that for you and your guards are still the best players in your team, you're going to win a lot of ballgames. So now the Warriors get a little more time to rest. They can get a little more healthy. They can get Kevin Durant back. I do believe he will play at some point in the NBA Finals. They may even get DeMarcus Cousins back, although I'm not sure that would be a good thing for them. I stick with what's working for you right now. I leave Bogut in the lineup even if Boogie Cousins is back. I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, Bogut is so underrated for his ability to set high ball screens, to free guys up, and with the shooters that Golden State has, they are so deadly. They are so lethal. All they need is the tiniest bit of space. Andrew Bogut gives them more than that. Boogie's out there to try to get his. Andrew Bogut is going to get you open. You stick with Bogut if you're Steve Kerr. And speaking of Steve Kerr, he has just accomplished something that no one else in NBA history has ever done, and that has reached five championships in your first five years as a head coach. It has been done, however, in other major pro sports. Steve Kerr is the third coach ever between the four major sports, the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, and the MLB, to reach five championships in his first five seasons as a head coach. Paul Brown did it in 1955, and Toe Blake did it in 1960. Paul Brown, of course, a legendary NFL coach, Toe Blake in the NHL. Steve Kerr becomes the first to do it in the NBA. Now, he's got an important decision coming up. And that's going to be how to integrate Kevin Durant back into the lineup. Because Golden State is not a better team without Durant. You don't subtract someone that good from the lineup and become better. To beat a team like Milwaukee, you need Kevin Durant on the floor. If anything, you need him for his length, his athleticism, someone who can match the height that Milwaukee's going to bring to the table. I know they closed out Houston without Durant. I know they swept Portland without Durant. They've reached another championship. But did Golden State overwhelmingly dominate Portland? I know it's a four-game sweep. It looks impressive on paper with no context. Or did Portland blow three out of the four games? Portland should not have been swept. The way they played the first half out of most of those games, they just couldn't finish. I tell you what, though, with what happened with Kevin Durant, you never wish an injury on somebody. But it may be one of the best things to happen to Steve Kerr regarding his legacy. 
Is he an impressive coach? I do believe he is. Would he be this dominant setting these records without the talent on his roster? Absolutely not. We're really going to see how good of a game manager he is, how he works Kevin Durant back into the lineup, and how he balances the tension in the locker room, because it's still there, believe me. Their talent's just overwhelming right now. And I gotta give him props, it is impressive what he's done since Durant has been out of the lineup. He's arguably the best player in the world, he's a top two talent, and he's still got this team into the NBA Finals. You take the top dog from any other team, you take Lillard out of Portland, you take Jokic out of Denver, you take Giannis out of Milwaukee, what are they? Kawhi and Toronto's another example. Who can lose that caliber of a player, arguably the best in the world, I'd say for sure top two right now? Who could do that? Take him out of the lineup midway through the playoffs and still make it into the NBA Finals. Because the most talented team doesn't always make it. A lot of that falls on the coach and how he manages the roster, how he balances the locker room. Steve Kerr's done that extremely well, and I want to give him credit for that. That shouldn't go unnoticed. Here's Steve Kerr talking about life of the Warriors without Kevin Durant. Uh, yeah, I mean, with Kevin out, it, it changes everything. So we'll have to uh, reconfigure the uh, the rotation, and we'll we'll have time to do that on the plane tomorrow uh, with the staff, and we'll we'll figure it out and try to go from there. That's another perk to sweeping through the conference final round. You have time to prepare. You have time to prepare for Milwaukee without Durant and with him when he gets back. Life's sitting pretty good for Steve Kerr right now. Before we get on to Toronto and Milwaukee tonight, I've got a double shot of stat of the day for you. You can let me know which one you like better. Here we go. Rodney Hood, in each of the last three postseasons, the team that he's been on, three different teams in the last three years, all of them eliminated by Golden State via the sweep. 2017, he was with Utah, swept out of the playoffs by Golden State. Last year, he was with Cleveland. They went to the NBA Finals, swept by Golden State. This year, with the Portland Trailblazers, swept out in the Western Conference Finals by Golden State. No matter where Rodney Hood goes, Golden State's right there ready to sweep him out of the playoffs. That's one stat of the day. Here's the other. You can tell me which you like better. The Warriors trailed for 101 minutes in their series against Portland. They trailed 101 minutes in four games. They only led for 83, and yet they still won it in four games. They needed the minimum amount of games to get by Portland, yet they only led for 83 minutes in the series. They trailed for 101. How about that for stat of the day? Stats of the day as we move over to the Eastern Conference. Game four tonight between the Raptors and Bucks in Canada. You can hear it right here on ESPN-UP. Tip-off set for 8.30. Pre-game coverage half an hour prior. I'll tell you what, I said on the show yesterday, in case you missed it, Milwaukee's going to be just fine. Toronto's a good enough team. You knew they wouldn't get swept. They'll probably even win one more game at some point. But tonight, I'm predicting Milwaukee blowout. I don't think it's going to be close. Giannis had what we would call an off game by his standards a couple of nights ago, 12 points and 23 rebounds. It's not going to happen again. It's just not. Giannis is going to go back to being the MVP-type caliber player that he is. Toronto had a big night from Kawhi Leonard. Well, he's been full of big nights this postseason. Shouldn't surprise us. Toronto also got big nights from Norman Powell and Marc Gasol. That's not going to happen again, especially not in back-to-back -back games. Toronto's not going to have that kind of Herculean effort again, and Giannis is not going to struggle again. 
At least not tonight. Some of the biggest shots in Game 3 on Sunday night came from George Hill, Pat Connaughton, the role players. Milwaukee's depth is just so much better than anybody else in the league. That includes the Warriors. Milwaukee's going to be just fine tonight. Kawhi may go off for 30 again. He'll continue to do his thing. But Milwaukee's going to be just fine. They are going to blow Toronto out this evening, take a 3-1 series lead, and go back to the Pfizer Forum sitting pretty. For me, the most interesting thing to watch for is going to be how Milwaukee starts the game. Their starts in these playoffs have not been good. They've been digging themselves holes, and they've been climbing out of it. And they've done a good job against Detroit a couple of times. They've done it against Boston, did it against Toronto. That's not going to work against Golden State. You cannot spot Golden State a double-digit lead in the first half and expect to come back. They're an entirely different animal. They are a dynasty, and they know how to make it rain from behind the arc. They can get 20 points in about five minutes. Milwaukee has to take care of the ball better in the early going. They have to start better. For me, that'll be the most interesting thing to watch for tonight. It won't be the outcome. I know Milwaukee's going to blow them out. Milwaukee's going to have a 3-1 series lead by the end of the night. For me, it's going to be how does Milwaukee start this game. They finished excellently. They haven't started well. And that's what's going to be their downfall against Golden State if they don't figure it out. That game, once again, available on ESPN-UP this evening. Also on our app, pregame coverage set for 8 o'clock, tip-off set for 8.30. With that, we owe you our first time out. When we come back, every major pro sports franchise has a power struggle. Some mask it better than others, and the Lakers are not one of those teams. What is really going on inside the Staples Center business offices? Next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Well, I tell you what, it seems like the Lakers and the Knicks are in a constant battle trying to one-up each other to show which of them is the most inept franchise in the National Basketball Association. The Lakers, for as credible as they are, as successful as they've been, the empire, the dynasty they've created over there, they can't stay out of their own way lately. Magic Johnson came out yesterday and said that the reason he left the Lakers, that he resigned his position as president of basketball operations, is because of Rob Palenka. He said Rob Palenka, the team's general manager, was stabbing him in the back. He wasn't allowing Magic to partake in basketball decisions. That Palenka would divert power to other members of the organization, some who weren't in the basketball side of things, some who were more in the business side of things. Magic also said that Jeannie Buss did not step in and come to his defense that Jeannie Buss hired him with the assumption this would be a part-time gig, that she was okay with Magic doing a full-time job on a part-time basis. The Magic couldn't come out because I, I was handcuffed so much. It's just, it's just I want to be Magic and free and not be uh, handcuffs uh, on me. And I knew that if I stayed in the role, you know, I'm, I'm giving up a lot of me. Here's the thing. Why is this all coming out now? Why, after a month of silence, is Magic starting to divulge into why he left the Lakers organization? Releasing details we haven't heard before, we don't even know if they're true. They can all be based on perceptive, on narrative. Why is this all coming out now? Since he resigned last month, the narrative regarding Magic is that he doesn't want to deal with the Lakers' dysfunction anymore. 
He wants to go back to being the charming living legend, the celebrity, the personable Magic Johnson, not the guy who has to make business decisions, not the guy who's responsible for a team that has the best player arguably in the world and isn't going to make the playoffs. He didn't want to have to deal with all that. And people were on him because he made a commitment to this Laker team, a franchise that he has devoted most of his life to, whether as a player or as an executive. People were on him about that, that he backed out of his commitment. Is he trying to save face? Is that what the end game is here for Magic? He said Rob Palenka, general manager of the team, stabbed him in the back. And that the last straw, the last straw for Magic, the reason why he left the Lakers, was because Magic wanted to fire head coach Luke Walton. Rob Palenka didn't. And the Lakers are an organization that they will very rarely fire a coach midseason. But something really, really has to be wrong if the Lakers are going to do that. Rob Lincoln didn't want to do it that way. He wanted to do it the Laker way more than Madge Johnson, the longtime Laker, Mr. Laker. Here's Magic on Rob Lincoln. When you allude to the backstabbing, was it Rob Lincoln that you're talking about? Is it Rob Lincoln and other people within the Lakers organization? Who exactly were you talking? No, just Rob. You know, I was going to help elevate him to the president's position. And so when all this was coming back to me and guys calling me, saying, you better watch out for him. And then what was crazy was, when I took the job, you know how many agents called me and said, you got to watch out for him. And I said, eh, I got to give the guy a fair chance. You know, I can't listen to people. But he, he was a hard worker, smart guy. But uh, now you have that position. So I'm good with that. I'm still waiting for Kobe Bryant to weigh in. The Mamba to give us his take on this. Obviously, he's tight with Rob Palenka. Rob was his agent for many years, a big reason why he stayed around in Los Angeles. But, of course, he has a good relationship with Magic Johnson. When you think of the Mount Rushmore of Los Angeles Lakers, Kobe and Magic, they got to be at the forefront. Who does Kobe side with? That's about the only way we're going to know the truth. Is Kobe going to stick with his agent, his boy? Because you've got to be a pretty slick customer to be able to be an agent, a professional sports agent. Maybe there is something to Magic saying Rob Palenka was a backstabber. Or maybe the Lakers didn't like having an executive who was there part-time, who was treating a full-time job like a part-time job. Magic Johnson, a guy who spent most of his time outside the office, said he was always available. Just got to text him, give him a buzz. You can always get a hold of him. I still believe that there is something to be said for being present in a workspace, for being present at the office. And Magic just wasn't doing that a lot. We know that for a fact. Does that mean Palenka was backstabbing him to get back at him? Or was he just trying to get stuff done? And your boss isn't around. For me, that's where this gets really gray. And maybe that means it's miscommunication on both ends. But right in the middle of it, you have Jeannie Buss. The Laker matriarch has been dealing with this for how many months now? And it's going to get worse. You talk about backstabbing. You just hired a new coach with his replacement on his staff. You forced the coach in waiting to be on this guy's staff. So Frank Vogel's going to take the fall here in a few years. And then Jason Kidd, we all know, is the long-term coach of the future. Frank Vogel's handling it the right way. He says he's not worried about having Jason Kidd on his staff, but I guarantee every time he calls timeout and gets a huddle together, He's going to be looking over his shoulder at Jason Kidd. Frank Vogel's going to have to grow eyes in the back of his head. 
I didn't know Jason very well, but obviously great respect for his playing career and his coaching career. I think he's done a good job as a head coach. This is the model that's been best for me in terms of building my coaching staff is find a respected player with coaching experience you know, that can help strengthen my message. That's class. That's pure class out of Frank Vogel. He knows what's going on here. He knows why Jason Kidd was put on his staff. Frank Vogel's the fall guy. The Lakers are going to struggle for the next few years. That will be Jeannie Buss's reasoning for firing Frank Vogel. Jason Kidd is going to be his successor. We all know it. Frank Vogel knows it. And he is handling this with so much grace, so much dignity. He's about the one constant on the Lakers you can count on. A guy who's not going to stab you in the back. And yet he's being made to be your fall guy. I feel for Frank Vogel. I really do. He's a guy that's had a good coaching career. If your biggest argument against Frank Vogel saying he wasn't a good hire because of his years in Orlando, everybody struggled in Orlando. Frank Vogel's done a lot more with a lot less when he was with the Indiana Pacers. He's not on the level of Budenholzer, Popovich, Kerr, Stevens, nothing like that. But he's a more than capable coach and he deserves better than being made to be the fall guy. Could the same thing be happening in Cleveland though? Cleveland Cavaliers just signed J.B. Bickerstaff. He was a guy that a lot of teams were targeting as a top assistant or even a head coach. He's a great basketball mind. Hasn't worked out for him a few places, Houston, Memphis as a head coach. But he's got a really good basketball mind. And Bickerstaff was brought to Cleveland, put on John Beeline's staff to help J.B. make the transition from college to the pros. Does that spell trouble for John Beeline, though? Is Dan Gilbert bringing the Laker model to Cleveland? Dan Gilbert has not been generous about coaches' tenures in Cleveland. He's not given them time to build things. And being able to build up young talent, teach young men, knowing you're going to go through some growing pains before you get to where you want to be, that's why John Beeline's perfect for this role. But will Dan Gilbert be patient enough? Or is he bringing on J.B. Bickerstaff knowing full well that he is the long-term coach of the future and John Beeline is just his fall guy? Is Bickerstaff the long-term head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, just like Jason Kidd is for the Lakers? Let's go to college softball. Talked a little about on the show yesterday how 15 of the 16 Super Regional spots were filled. We were waiting on Michigan and James Madison from Alumni Field out in Ann Arbor. And the Dukes come away with it. A crushing defeat for the Wolverines. They were hosting a regional as the 15th seed nationally. But they see their season end at 45-13. and 13. Michigan got to the championship game by beating James Madison 1-0 in 12 innings. An absolute thriller, a pitcher's duel earlier in the weekend. James Madison was able to survive and advance to the championship. They were a team that entered with a chip on their shoulder. They were ranked ahead of Michigan in the final top 25 poll. The Dukes were 16th, Michigan was 19th. Yet Michigan, as the Big Ten regular season and tournament champs, got to host a regional. James Madison got a two-seed. They didn't get a host. They came into Ann Arbor hoping to prove to the selection committee that they got it wrong. And by all accounts, it looks like they did. Michigan had won 16 straight games entering the championship against James Madison yesterday. That was tied with Florida State for the longest active winning streak in the nation. Then they dropped two in a row to James Madison. A true double elimination tournament. The Dukes had to win both of them. They did. 2-1 and 3-0, they held Michigan scoreless for 13 innings in that doubleheader. 
The Dukes at 51-8 and eight get the final spot in the Super Regional. Michigan is the only of the top 16 national seeds that did not advance to the Supers. So what does that mean for Michigan softball going forward? Carol Hutchins, an absolute legend, has been at the head of the program for the last 35 years. The team started slow. She turned them around. They ended up winning 31 of their last 32, entering the regionals. Where does she go from here? A tough way to end a great season for the Wolverines. They're hoping baseball can continue on, playing through the weekend. Again, we're going to break down the Big Ten tournament coming up. But before we hit the break, let's take a look at tonight's MLB scoreboard. Oakland visits Cleveland. Chris Bassett is opposed by Trevor Bauer. First pitch is set for 6-10. 7-0-5 start for the Phillies and the Cubs at Wrigley. Zach Eflin is opposed by Jose Quintana. 7-0-5, the Rockies take on the Pirates in Pittsburgh. Chris Archer goes up against Herman Marquez. 7-0-5 start for the Yankees and Orioles at Camden. Domingo Herman is opposed by David Hess. Then at 7-0-7, the Red Sox building momentum will start Eduardo Perez against the Blue Jays and Marcus Stroman. 7-10 start for the Dodgers and Rays. Clayton Kershaw goes up against Hunter Wood. 7-10 start for the Marlins and Tigers. Caleb Smith against Spencer Turnbull. A couple of teams that really could use a few wins. Washington, speaking of a team that needs some wins, they take on the Mets at 7-10. Eric Fetty is opposed by Zach Wheeler. 7-40 start for the Reds and Brewers at Miller Park. Sonny Gray, still looking for his first win, takes on Gio Gonzalez. 8.05 start for the Mariners and Rangers. Tommy Malone is opposed by Lance Lynn, a couple of former Minnesota Twins. White Sox and Astros at 8.10, Justin Verlander against Dylan Covey. 8.15, Royals and Cardinals, Homer Bailey and Michael Waka. 9.45 start for the Braves and the Giants. Julio Teheran goes up against Sean Anderson. 10.07 start for the Twins and the Angels in Anaheim. Michael Pineda against Trevor Cahill. Then at 10.10, the Diamondbacks visit the Padres. Zach Grinke's opposed by Matt Strom. That is a look at tonight's MLB scoreboard schedule for this evening. Once again, we'll have basketball here on ESPN-UP. Game 4 between the Bucks and Raptors. Pre-game coverage begins at 8. Tip-off is set for 8.30. With that, let's take another time out. Still have a very special guest coming up later on in the show, but when we come back, we break down hockey. Stanley Cup playoffs, game six this evening. That's next in the Sports Pen and ESPN UP and the ESPN UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at four on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for hanging out with me. Here's your Sports Center update. Former Florida State quarterback DeAndre Francois will walk on and play for Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic this season. Francois was dismissed by Florida State in February when a recording involving a domestic assault came to light. Last night, Mike Emmerich won his sixth consecutive Emmy Award for Most Outstanding Sports Personality in Play-By-Play. It's his seventh in the last ten years. I know he's not with our network, but Mike Emmerich, man, he sets the standard. Friend of the show, by the way, he was on here in 2016 when Marquette hosted Kraft Hockeyville. And, of course, he's coming back to the UP here in a few months. And finally... Danish presidential candidate Jochim Olsen is running a new series of campaign ads on Pornhub. That is your Sports Center update as we turn our attention to hockey game six of the Western Conference Final this evening in St. Louis. I tell you what, I go back and forth on who I want to pick in this game. I don't think I'm going to make a call in this one. There's too much that could go too many different ways. Too many variables in this one. I'm doing the weak thing. And I'm not going to make a call for this one. Here's what we're looking at. 
The St. Louis Blues have been awesome on the road this year. They have been flat out dominant, in fact, away from the Enterprise Center. It's on their home ice where they've struggled the most. And that just happens to be where Game 6 is tonight. The Blues have a chance to move on to the Stanley Cup Final for the first time in almost five decades. They have to win on their home ice to do so. And you would think that would be a perk. That would be an advantage for a team. Hasn't necessarily been the case with the St. Louis Blues. The Blues, as it stands right now, are 4-5 and five on home ice during these playoffs. If they win tonight, they even their record at home at 500 in these playoffs. They go on to the Stanley Cup Final. If they lose, they play a winner-take-all Game 7 in San Jose, which might not be the worst thing in the world for the Blues. Far better on the road in these playoffs than they are at home. Here's the thing. If the Blues do lose tonight and they have to play a Game 7, they got to go to San Jose, and they win, they will be just the third team in NHL history to have a sub-500 record at home during the playoffs and make the Stanley Cup Final. The only other teams to do that, the 2004 Calgary Flames and last year's Washington Capitals. Calgary did not win the Cup in 04. Washington, of course, did last year. I don't think San Jose is going to come back and win two in a row against the Blues. I think the Blues will win the West when it's all said and done. I just don't know that they're going to do it tonight. They might. There's reason to feel optimistic if you're a Blues fan. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But San Jose has been a tough out in these playoffs. They have faced elimination four times already. They're 4-0. They've outscored opponents 15-9. And their power play in elimination games has been excellent. 5 of 17, that's a 29% clip. So with all that in mind, you'd be pretty smart to think that the Sharks are going to win tonight. That they are going to force a Game 7. And you would be right to think so. But here's what has me skeptical. The injury bug. The medical list. Right now, that's San Jose's worst enemy. They were heavy favorites to win the Cup this offseason because they went out and they got Eric Carlson. The best offensive defenseman in the NHL. He's an all-star. Signed him to a one-year deal because they wanted the Cup this season. The problem is, when you go out and you get a guy like that, you need him on the ice. And that's where he won't be tonight. Eric Carlson has been ruled out for the do-or-die Game 6. He left Game 5 with an injury, as did Tomas Hurdle. He has been huge for the Sharks during this Cup run. In all three rounds, he will not play tonight either. Joe Pavelski, the third Shark to leave with an injury in Game 5, he will be a game-time decision. That's the captain. That's Captain America. Joe Paw. They need him on the ice, if anything. So as good as the Sharks have been with their backs against the wall, they are going to be fighting it tonight. They are going to go with a short lineup. They are going to be fighting the injury bug. The Sharks look to become the first team to win three Game 7s and reach the Cup Final since the Kings did in 2014. Kings won the Cup that year, by the way. They did so by coming back from a 3-0 deficit against the Sharks and winning that series in the first round of the Western Conference playoffs. St. Louis, on the other hand, their story has been nothing short of marvelous this season. January 2nd, they had the worst record in the NHL, and I'm talking the worst, dead last, 31st out of 31 teams. They upgrade a net, they get a new coach, Craig Berube, Jordan Bennington have worked wonders for that team. They are one win away from their first cup final appearance in 49 years. Whether the series ends tonight or not, we do know Game 1 of the Cup Final will drop the puck on Memorial Day. So how about that? A little holiday hockey. How about a Woj bomb? Adrian Wojnarowski, our NBA insider, dropped this note a couple of hours ago. The 2018-2019 NBA All-Rookie Teams have been released. The top 10 rookie players this year, 5 on first team, 5 on second. In case you missed it, 
Here we go. It's only two hours old. Some of you might have missed it. Starting with the first team, with the fifth highest point total representing the Sacramento Kings, Marvin Bagley III. With the fourth highest point total representing the Memphis Grizzlies, Jaron Jackson Jr. With the third highest point total representing the Phoenix Suns, DeAndre Ayton. Tied for the highest point total representing the Atlanta Hawks, Trey Young. He is tied for the highest point total with the pride of the Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic. So once again, per our NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski, the NBA All-Rookie First Team, Doncic, Young, Ayton, Jackson, and Bagley. Making up second team all-rookie, a couple of Clippers, Landry Schmidt and Shai Gilgis Alexander, Cleveland's Colin Sexton, New York's Mitchell Robinson, and Atlanta's Kevin Herter. Well, I tell you what, let's take a look at the NFL before we get to college baseball. Some news yesterday, today, what have you, always is. But how about this? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have released defensive lineman Gerald McCoy, a six-time Pro Bowler who maybe was at odds with new head coach Bruce Arians. A few months ago when Arians was first hired, he said that McCoy was not as disruptive as he was about four years ago. Seemed to irk McCoy a little bit. By letting McCoy hit the open market, Tampa Bay is saving $13 million in salary cap money and i tell you what the buccaneers gave mccoy a twitter tribute thank you gerald but his locker wasn't even cold yet before they brought in his replacement and dominican sue who mccoy joined for a brief time as the two hottest commodities on the defensive lineman market they were two of the top three picks in the 2010 nfl draft sue went second mccoy went third and all of a sudden sue in effect takes mccoy's job Elsewhere, the reigning Super Bowl MVP is staying right where he is. The New England Patriots agree to a two-year, $18 million extension with wide receiver Julian Edelman. This is going to kick in after the end of his current contract. He received an $8 million signing bonus along with $12 million in guaranteed money, and his current deal is keeping him in New England until Tom Brady's 44. Tell you what, though, if it gets to the point where Edelman needs to step in and be quarterback for Brady, why not? little QB at college when he was at Kent State. By the way, I should have made this your stat of the day. Edelman is the only member of the New England Patriots to throw a 40-plus yard touchdown pass in the playoffs since the year 2012. How about that? Tell you what, non-Patriot fans will absolutely lose their collective minds if Edelman turns out to be Tom Brady's heir apparent. The NFL's been wondering for this long, who is going to replace Tom Brady? When's New England going to invest in a young quarterback? And it's been Edelman the whole time. That's not going to happen. He's too valuable as a receiver. But what if it did? Belichick would beat Coach Midas because everything he touches would turn to gold. So when Dominican Sue gets a one-year deal today, Julian Edelman gets two. Anybody going for three? Probably not Reuben Foster. He was a big acquisition this offseason for the Washington Redskins. An embattled, albeit talented, 25-year-old linebacker. He was suspended briefly by the NFL after a domestic violence complaint, but the NFL ended the suspension due to insufficient evidence. The Redskins took a huge PR hit signing Foster, but Ann Snyder has never let that stop him from doing anything. Either way, Foster won't be on the field for the Redskins this season after tearing an ACL in practice yesterday. He becomes one of the latest off-season signees that a team has looked to build around 
only to see him suffer an ACL injury. And I credit Trey Wingo with this. You look at some of the guys who've torn ACLs in the offseason, guys expected to play prominent roles for their respective teams. 2014, Dallas linebacker Sean Lee, Jordy Nelson with the Packers in 2015, Teddy Bridgewater in 2016, quarterback with the Vikings at the time, the aforementioned Julian Edelman a couple of years ago, Darius Geis, the running back with the Redskins last year, and now the Redskins are hit with it again with Reuben Foster. Geis, Foster, Alex Smith last year. It's got to be tough to be a Redskins fan right now. Go out and hug a Redskins fan if you know any. Make sure they're doing okay. Hug a Mets fan, too, while you're at it. How about Yoannis Cespedes? What happened yesterday? Tiger fans remember him. Cespedes was on his ranch at home recovering from an off-season surgery, was expected to be back about the midway point this year, steps in a hole on his ranch and breaks his ankle. Multiple fractures, his season done. I don't know what his future in baseball looks like. Reminds you of the Martin Perez situation. Twins pitcher, whose elbow was shattered by a bull, came back. He's doing well right now. Six wins already, he's top ten in the AL. We're certainly hoping that Cespedes can make a comeback like that. But man, you gotta feel for New York sports fans right now, huh? The power struggle inside the Jets organization that Adam Gase denies, but Mike McCagnin is living proof of. The New York Giants and everything surrounding them. How Eli Manning seems to be a little uncertain about his future with the team. General Manager David Gettleman, always a good quote, says that they would like to do the Aaron Rodgers method. With Daniel Jones, sit him for three years. I tell you what, if you take a quarterback sixth overall, you sit him for three years, you're not going to be around to see him finally play. You're going to get fired. The Knicks look hapless as ever. Nobody else is winning you a championship. I feel for the D.C. and New York sports fans. Give them a hug. Let's raise awareness for them. Coming up on a break, and I was planning on being joined by Michigan head baseball coach Eric Bakic. Unfortunately, he had to postpone our meeting. We're going to try and talk with him next week after the Big Ten tournament. He's already down there. Tournament play starts tomorrow. We'll still break it down for you. Plus, it appears the Wolverines have John Beeline's successor. We'll break him down next. Plus, I want to hear from you. I want to get your thoughts on Michigan's new men's basketball coach, the Big Ten Tournament, anything you want to talk about. I want to interact with you. I'm here to take your calls to finish out the show next. Again, our call-in number, 906-226-4570. Michigan basketball and baseball plus your calls next in the sports pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of the show today, you can check it out on demand with our free mobile app. You can get it from the Apple iStore or Google Play. Just search up ESPN-UP. If you don't have that app already, you're missing out. You can hear this episode, archived episodes, live broadcast. Even ESPN Radio nationally. Will Kane's going to come on here in about 15 minutes once we wrap things up. Plus, don't forget we have NBA playoff action tonight. Bucks and Raptors game four from north of the border. You can hear the pregame at 8 o'clock. Tip-off set for 8.30 here on the East Coast. Again, I want to hear from you. I want to interact with my listeners. Call in if you got a thought, you got something you want to talk about. Number again, 906-226-4570. One more time, 906-226-4570. Until then, I was hoping to get Eric Bakich, the head coach of the University of Michigan, on headset. In case you missed that before the break, he's busy. He's down in Omaha ready for the Big Ten tournament. They start tomorrow. We were originally going to get him, and unfortunately we could not make that happen. So I tell you what, we take a look at the Big Ten tournament already. Let's preview 
what to expect tomorrow. Michigan enters the tournament as the two seed in the Big Ten after going 16-7 and seven in conference play. They were 38-16 and 16 overall, and they absolutely dominated the home field this year. Michigan went 22-4 and four on their home field this season. That's what you need to do. You need to take care of business on your home games, and Michigan is sitting pretty for an at-large bid, even if they don't come away with the tournament championship. I tell you what, I hope the Big Ten will start to get to the point where they want to play a true double elimination tournament. I don't know that they're in any rush to do that. I hate the ACC format. I've got the ACC tournament on the monitor here in the studio. Uh, Probably, I don't know if that's allowed or not, but uh, we got it. Wake Forest leading Florida State 3-0 in the ACC tournament. I was watching BC beat Clemson earlier today, 7-5 in 11 innings. BC, the lowest-ranked seed in that tournament. And I bring the ACC up because I hate their tournament format. They've got four pools of three. You play everybody in your pool, so you're guaranteed two games. The tiebreaker, if everyone goes 1-1-1, one, one, and one, is just the highest seed moves on. So basically, if you're not the highest seed in your pool, then you've got to win both games to move on in the ACC tournament. So I don't like that, but digressing, getting back to the Big Ten tournament, Michigan offensively has been the best team in the Big Ten this year, hitting 285. They're top three in the conference in hits, doubles, walks, and stolen bases. Jordan Brewer, who's leading the conference in batting average, was just named Big Ten Player of the Year. So they got the hitters. Them, along with Ohio State, the top two hitters in the conference are going to play tomorrow in the first round of the conference tournament when Ohio State takes on Michigan. Michigan, again, the two seed. They take on the Buckeyes, the number seven. That game is set for a 2 o'clock Eastern start in Omaha. Here's the rest of the bracket. You've got Illinois, the three seed in the tournament, taking on Maryland, the six. That will be the first game of the day. They'll be followed by Ohio State and Michigan. The top seed in the tournament is Indiana. They will take on Iowa at 6 o'clock Eastern. And then Minnesota takes on Nebraska in the nightcap. That is the four or five seed game. That is a look at the Big Ten Tournament tomorrow at TD Ameritrade. Again, we're going to try and reschedule with Eric Bakic. We'll get that worked out some way or another, and we will make sure that we get his thoughts on how things go for the Wolverines in their trip to Omaha. Well, I tell you what, looking around some other headlines, Michigan appears to have zeroed in on their top candidate for their men's basketball job, and it's a familiar face. Jawan Howard, part of the Fab Five during his tenure with the Wolverines in the 90s, 46 years old, spent the last seven years as an assistant with the Miami Heat. He appears to be the guy that Michigan wants. No done deal yet, but it appears that they have locked in, that he is their guy. He played at Michigan from 91 to 94, again, part of those Fab Five teams. He was an All-American, and even though there were those scandals going on at Michigan at the time, still had to keep his All-American status. That's not being stripped away from him. He was drafted fifth overall by the Washington Bullets in 1994. He spent 19 seasons in the NBA, retired in 2013, won two NBA championship rings, did so with LeBron James, teammates back in 2012 and 2013 as members of the Miami Heat. Speaking of LeBron James, he's sitting at a familiar spot, and that is atop the NBA's best-selling jerseys list. LeBron, once again was the best-selling jersey this season. LeBron in a Lakers uniform, though, however. So different team, same result. The rest of the list, Stephen Curry was number two. Giannis went up to number three. Kyrie Irving at four. How about that? I'll say I contributed to that. I did. Joel Embiid, fifth. James Harden, sixth. Russell Westbrook, seventh. Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler round out the top ten. It does not specify 
if they were Jimmy Butler Philadelphia or Minnesota jerseys. Remember, he got traded about the start of the season. The rest of the top 15 we have available, Dwayne Wade at number 11, good send-off for him. Paul George at number 12. Luka Doncic, the rookie, 13th. Damian Lillard, 14th. And this one surprised me a little bit. Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics went number 15. It's a good surprise. I like that. But a little bit surprising, albeit all the same. Well, I tell you what, as we get set to wind down the work day, we'll get you into the evening. I've got plans. I'm planning on watching the ACC tournament this evening. Notre Dame getting set to take on Duke. That game will throw the first pitch at 7 here in the East Coast, so nobody bother me tonight. That's what I'm going to be doing. But I tell you what, you've got thoughts on Michigan baseball. you got thoughts on Jawan Howard. It looks like he's going to be the new man for Michigan baseball. Excuse me, Michigan basketball. Give me your thoughts on him. Call in 906-226-4570. Until then, it was the final preliminary game for the U.S. today. They fell to Canada 3-0 at the Men's Worlds. They get back to the ice on Thursday in the quarterfinal round. The U.S. put on a nice winning streak. They lost their opener against Slovakia back in, uh, was that two weeks ago already? And now falling to the Canadians. So they bookend the preliminary round play with a pair of losses after going on an extended winning streak. Canadians all over Denmark yesterday as they are going into the tournament on fire. They're not missing Crosby. They're not missing Bergeron. They're not missing Marchand. Again, I don't know why they have this tournament at this time of the year. Just doesn't make sense to me. You're missing so much of the best talent. You get nobody from the Blues, the Sharks, or the Bruins. Why not just have this like a month later? Guys will still probably skip because they want the extra rest, especially if they're coming off a long postseason run. But still, you get more talent there. Tell you what, here's a story coming out of the Midwest that a lot of people probably haven't heard of, but it's been keeping an eye on, or at least it's worth keeping an eye on. It comes out of Mitchell, South Dakota. Dakota Wesleyan University, an NAI school, they have a uh, track athlete who is ranked number one in the country in her specific, uh, specific event. And there was at least, it was the heptathlon, is that it? Heptathlon? I couldn't even tell you what that is. I don't follow track closely enough. But she's ranked number one in NAI in it. There was an email error that was going to stop her from going to the NAI Nationals. Apparently, her entry form, which you guess you have to do even though you qualify in NAIA, her registration was sent to a spam folder, and the NAIA never received it. Apparently, it went past the deadline. She was originally not going to be allowed to compete despite being the top-ranked athlete in the country. So because of that, someone filed a protest, what have you, and they got it worked out that she's at least able to compete. The NAIA, following the server mix-up, I don't know who that's on, decided that they are going to allow her to compete. So in the end, hopefully, that's the right thing. I'd like to think that's the right move. But I tell you what, good for her. Uh, looking at, how about this? There's a weird situation going on with Twitter. You know, everyone's talking about what Twitter does politically, what have you, how certain accounts are shut down because of their political beliefs, what have you. Facebook's not allowing some guys to be, you know, represented anymore. Well, Twitter's doing something but it's sports-related. It's not politics-related. Twitter is cracking down on anybody who's used music in the past, music that they didn't have copyright access to use. They are going after sports teams. Even if this isn't anywhere recent, even if this happened years ago, Twitter is cracking down. They're finding old videos in which 
someone didn't use permissible music. And some of those accounts include the Houston Rockets, University of Iowa football, and Iowa State football. That's how it got my attention in the first place. Iowa and Iowa State both get their Twitter accounts suspended. You would think, out of both of them, one of them would at least know copyright law. I was taught copyright law when I went to college. Uh, But I tell you what, the Houston Rockets are in the same boat. So you're finding these accounts that are suspended. They're not allowed to have any activity until further notice. Just a tough scene that they've got going on for whatever reason. So again, a lot has been going on regarding Michigan athletics uh, today with the Big Ten tournament starting tomorrow for baseball. Michigan, we would expect, gets an at-large bid regardless of their championship in the tournament or not. Uh, But looking back at Jawan Howard, and it appears that Michigan is zeroing in on their man. Nothing is official yet. John Beeline's replacement, though, appears to have been identified, and Jawan Howard would be coming home. That's what it's sounding like. That's what it's working out right now. We're going to keep you updated on that. But that'd be a terrific hire, I tell you what. He's been a great basketball mind, Howard has. He's been around the game. He's been around Michigan. He knows the system here. He would do really well with the University of Michigan. So I would like to see this deal happen. I know there's no replacing a guy like John Beeline. But I tell you what, man, that's, that's a pretty good hire if you can get somebody like that. They were not able to work out a deal with Ed Cooley, who I actually like a lot. There was speculation that they may go after Ed Cooley, who right now is the head basketball coach at Providence. That seems unlikely. Cooley signed an extension with the Friars. He's going to stick there. But Cooley's one of those underrated coaches. I'm surprised that a power basketball school hasn't snapped up. I'm surprised he's still where he is. Murray State dude, whatever uh, his record, I know was 27-4 this year. He's in his fourth year. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. I'm surprised he hasn't been picked up. I thought he would be a good one for the Vandy job, although they seem to pick the right hire with Jerry Stackhouse. Some pretty good basketball coaches still out there, still looking for homes. It does appear, though, that Michigan has found their guy in Jawan Howard. I want to see this hiring get done. I think it'd be the right move for him and for the university. Get a guy in there who went to school here. He played the program, gave the program some great memories. He knows the Michigan standard, and he's going to continue on the tradition that Beeline has set up. Again, this is... uh, Available on demand with the Apple iStore or Google Play. If you miss any part of today's show or any episode, check it out there. Just search up ESPN-UP in the Apple iStore or Google Play. You can find it for free. Find this app for free. You can get live access to anything ESPN, including Eastern Conference Finals action tonight. If you have basketball, you have hockey, I'm going to be watching baseball. Plenty to be going around tonight, plenty to keep you entertained on a Tuesday evening as the weather starts to finally get nice out there. Well, I tell you what, that should just about do it for today's show. As always, appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Don't forget to join us tonight for NBA basketball. Playoff action, Bucks again. I'm calling it Bucks blowout, 15-plus points. You can bank on it. Vegas odds, by the way, have St. Louis Closing out the series tonight over San Jose. And I laid the case out for you in the last segment. I'm not ready to make a call myself. You can do with it what you will. I tell you what, that is going to do it for today's show. As always, appreciate you tuning in. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central, right here on ESPN-UP and online with the ESPN-UP app. Signing off from the ESPN-UP WZAM studios, my name's Tanner Hoops, and thanks for listening to the Sports Pen.